So I'm not making any calls or anything like that. I'm just going to find where that is. There it is there. Lovely. Okay, we, um, we're still in our series of uh, spiritual warfare, looking from Ephesians uh, chapter 6. And uh, we've been looking at the various parts of spiritual armour that uh, God has given to us to enable us to stand uh, in this battle, in this war. And today we're going to be uh, looking at some boots. You want to pass those boots across? Sure. Just something different, you know, a bit of a, bit of a prop up here. They're not real clean, are they, at this stage? But that's cleaner than Doug's. Good to hear. Boots. Boots. Um, who's heard of Imelda Marcos? Uh, yes. I don't think she would wear those, right? Imelda Marcos, the wife of the Philippine dictator Ferdinand Marcos, left behind a collection reputedly to be of 3,000 pairs of shoes when they had to flee the country back many, many years ago. Obviously, Imelda had a shoe for every occasion and some more on top of that as well with 3,000 pairs of shoes. Can you imagine trying to decide which pair to wear today? I'm sure there's shoes she never actually discovered that she had packed away in her cupboard somewhere, but shoes are important. I don't think we need 3,000 pairs like Imelda Marcos uh, had, but it's important to have the right shoe that suits the situation. Well, today Paul's going to talk about shoes as well. The gospel shoes of peace that are perfectly fitted for our battle uh, that we are in. So if you've got your Bibles, you know exactly where we're going to go to. You'd reckon I have this mark on there, wouldn't you? Chapter 6, and we can go from verse uh, 10 through to verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Father, thank you again that we can come back to this passage again as we look at uh, the spiritual warfare that we are in and we look at the spiritual armour that you give to us. Uh, We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, you breathe life into this word today. And I ask that supernaturally this word will become alive in our hearts and it will reveal uh, the greatness of God and it will increase our faith to believe in him, to trust in him and to engage in this battle with the gospel shoes of peace firmly shod upon our feet. God, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Nobody likes to be in a war, do they? 
If you get soldiers and people to be really honest about it, they would say, I wish there was no war. Uh, Soldiers have to endure the rigours and trauma of war. There's the hardship of sleep deprivation and the ongoing heightened tension of alertness of what they are in the battlefront. There's an enemy out there who's seeking to kill me and take me out. And the people left back at home have to endure the uncertainty of what's happening in the war zone. Now, before the invention of modern communication, you went back to some of the previous world wars that we had, they didn't have the internet or Facebook to find out what update was happening in the war front. Uh, they would have to scan newspapers for the latest war news. And uh, sometimes, uh, and very often it actually happened in the world wars, the people would get uh, telegrams and they would dread these telegrams from the war department because very often these telegrams were communicating uh, your son or your husband or someone has died. So... Not good, not good. People wanted peace and not war. As we look at Ephesians 6 again today, we're wanting the same thing in many respects. We want peace. And this is precisely where Paul takes us in our war against Satan. Paul calls us to put on the shoes, could be the boots, of the gospel of peace. So to help us see these gospel shoes of peace today, I want us to look at it in a few different ways. First, I want us to look at the war zone. Then I want us to look at the shoes we wear, the readiness we must have, and then we'll tie all of that together with the gospel of peace as we put all those uh, elements together. So the war zone, the war zone. What is the war zone that we are in? Did you know there's actually two wars going on Right at this moment. Two wars. Now, not the physical wars that I'm thinking about, or you may be thinking about, as in Syria or northern Africa or in other parts of the world where we live. Not those wars. They are certainly taking place. There's civil unrest and all sorts of things happening there. But it's more the unseen spiritual wars that are taking place with every single individual here on earth. There's two wars that are happening. Two very significant spiritual wars that are taking place. There's two war zones. I think we are already convinced about the war that the followers of Jesus have with Satan and the enemies of darkness. We've actually just read through that there in that passage again. I think that's the whole series is about that. So we're convinced about that. But there's another war taking place as well at the very same time. And this war is between unbelievers and God. Unbelievers and God. There's a war taking place there. Now you might say, is that a bit too dramatic to say that there's a war taking place between unbelievers and God? Is that, it seems a bit over the top. Is that really true? Is there a war between unbelievers and God? Is that right? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. God hasn't deliberately set up humans as his enemy, but unbelievers have set up God as their enemy. God hasn't set them up as his enemy, but unbelievers have set God up as their enemy. Look in Romans 8 with me as we think about this. Chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Have a look in verse 6 there and see what it says. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. What does Paul mean when he says that? 
to set the mind on the flesh's death. The mind there as such is us as humans. It's our human mind that God has created and given us life. And the flesh, when he refers to the flesh there, to set the mind on the flesh, is to set our minds upon self-centred desires and wants. So the mind is us and the flesh is setting itself on those self-centred desires and wants. And Paul says, when we set our mind on that, that is direct our mind towards ourselves and not towards God, then we die spiritually. Let's follow this on in verse 7 because he says further. Because he goes on in verse 7 to say, a mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Or other translations say that a mind, that the mind is an enemy of God, that we are enemies of God. When we refuse to submit to God's rightful rule over our lives, we set ourselves up as enemies to God. We are in a war zone and the war we have declared is war on God as an unbeliever. Let me illustrate that. The country we live in has laws for us to abide by and we appreciate those laws because what do they do? It helps achieve order and harmony with where we live. If there was no law and it was every man or woman for himself or themselves, what would happen? Anarchy. And what do, we, what do we have when we have a person who follows their self-centred desires in this sense when they want to go outside of the laws and steal, as we've seen often over the probably the last few months with these ram raid attacks in some of those shopping centres as well. They just ram those dudes through, steal somebody else's possessions and take them off. The way they go. Or we have those jewellery heists that are happening with those uh, young youths coming in and just smashing their way into those stores and grabbing those jewellery and taking off. They're, they're flouting the laws of the government. So what do we have then? We have an enemy of the government. They don't want to abide by the government's laws. They refuse to follow them. In fact, they'll do all they can to escape the government, catching them to bring them to justice for those laws. And they'll probably keep on doing those crimes as we've seen multiple ram raids or multiple jury thefts. They now become an enemy of the state. They're setting themselves up as an enemy of the state. And it's no different with God. God who's created us and gives us our life has the right to tell us how we should live so community can flourish and be peaceful and live in order. So when God tells us not to harbour bitterness towards somebody else and we go ahead and do just that very thing that God tells us not to do, we actually are setting ourselves up as an enemy to God. We are refusing to come under his right rule for our lives and we're not going to submit to him. And actually we go on doing that, refusing to submit to God who is our creator, and when we do that we are actually entering into war with God. We're not going to submit to his ways. This is one war that we desperately need to find peace with in God. This is one war we must find peace with God. And this is what the gospel shoes, the gospel of shoes of peace will reveal for us is this peace that we can find in that war. Let's move this on though to shoes, boots. We might find this a really, really strange thing here that Paul refers to shoes as part of the armour against Satan's attacks towards us. He tells us there in verse 15, where we sort of centre on today, the gospel shoes of peace. You might think, shoes? What has shoes got to do with armour? It's not like it's made out of steel or something like that. I mean, it's not like we can hold it up and sort of fend off an attack or something. Shoes? Is it really important? I think they really, really are important, shoes. 
I mean, just ask a lady how important are shoes, particularly when it comes to a wedding. Sometimes I've got three daughters and I've been to a few weddings and it can nearly take just as long to pick the shoes as it takes to pick the dress sometimes. Very important. But that's not the context that Paul's talking about here in picking shoes for a wedding. Still, though, they are very, very critical here in Paul's context. Starting with Alexander the Great, for any historian buffs here, till the Roman times, the armies that could move the quickest were the armies that conquered the most battles. The armies that could move the quickest were the armies that could conquer the most battles. Alexander the Great was one of the first generals of war history who equipped his soldiers with footwear. He was one of the first generals to actually fashion and shape footwear for his soldiers. And he discovered when he did this that his armies could march longer and they could march quicker when they were equipped with shoes. And during battle, sturdy footwear, possibly something like this, steel cap boots, something like that, enabled his men to remain standing longer than what the enemy could. The enemy's feet got sore and tired from this long battle and they became weaker and weaker. And what happened then? Alexander the Great's advancing army, equipped with shoes, uh, just rode right over the top of them because they could no longer stand. Their feet were sore and they were tired. Shoes provided uh, stability and grip and kept the soldiers in a balanced, upright position during the battle here as we think about the importance of shoes. Often these guys particularly back then and still today, if you perhaps look at some of the war we see on footage from um, guys out there, is fought in difficult terrain. It's fought in difficult terrain, rocky and uneven ground. And also sometimes these battles were fought in muddy, slippery conditions. So you could imagine uh, when the advancing army came and you were trying to stand upright in these mud and rocks with bare feet or really flimsy footwear which just gave way, And then you're trying to do this in hand-to-hand combat, trying to hold your ground, keep your footing. Virtually impossible to do that. Roman soldiers, in Paul's time when he was writing this uh, letter to the Ephesians, had like cleats. Uh, I don't know if you've seen a, a football boot with stops on the bottom. That's what the Roman soldiers had on their shoes for their warfare, was to, to give them extra grip when they were um, trying to wrestle, because a lot of their combat back then was hand-to-hand, arm-to-arm combat. So they needed something to stand with. If we think of today's context, again, just how important shoes are. Think about basketball stars. We watch playing basketball. I know there's a few young guys here right into this. Can you imagine if LeBron James, who now plays for the LA Lakers, I believe, imagine if he had really pathetic footwear and every time he went to guard somebody, he slipped over in the court. Can you imagine what would happen then? Whoever is guarding will just go right on past him and put the ball in the basket and score the two points. On the ground, he would be useless. And no different for these Roman soldiers in that time. On the ground, probably they'll get killed. Shoes are critically important. The gospel shoes of peace are critically important for us to stand in our warfare against Satan as a foundation that we stand in. We'll pull this together in a few minutes for you. Readiness, another word here that Paul uses in this passage. Readiness of the gospel of peace. What images come to mind when you think about readiness? Readiness. Again, let's just draw back to the the soldier on the battlefront. 
in a real sense, you're in a continual state of alertness, wouldn't you? If you're, if you're a soldier in the war zone. If you're right out there in the front lines, if you're in the trenches and you know the enemy's only a few hundred metres away, there'll be a real alertness about you. You know they're only just over there. Or even if you're perhaps in, in a battle compound and there's still mortar shells or whatever flying over your head every so often, I don't think you'll be having great sleep. There'll be some sort of alertness or readiness that you're always upon you. You'll be, you'll be just thinking what will happen next. In some battles, in some battles, the soldiers actually will sleep with their boots on. That's the heightened alertness that they need to have sometimes because they don't know what the enemy will be doing and where it will be going next. So sometimes they'll sleep with their boots on. Why is this? Because the, the soldier in that case needs to be nimble and quick to react to what the enemy's doing. If the enemy moves down the left flank in my heightened state of alertness, readiness, I'll move to the left and I'll cut them off. If the enemy's going to move down to the valleys in my heightened alert state, I'm going to move down to the valley and I'm going to cut the enemy off there. If the enemy moves up to the ridges, well, I'm, in my heightened alert state, I'm going to move up there and I'm going to cut the enemy off. Need to be ready, need to be alert. Some of the greatest victories of war have come from generals and armies who've been alert and ready for what the enemy is doing or where the enemy is moving. So to quickly move in response and then overwhelm them in surprise because of their alertness, they could see exactly where the enemy was going. No different in our spiritual warfare. Paul wants us to be in a state of readiness, a state of preparedness and alertness. So so as soon as we see Satan potentially move in an area of our life, in one direction or the other, in this alertness and in this readiness, we're ready to cut off whatever lies or deceptions he's trying to feed into our hearts and our minds. Let's pull this together then as we think about here the gospel of peace and we think about the war zone, we think about the shoes or the boots and we think about this readiness as well. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not putting your trust in him for your salvation alone, you need these gospel shoes of peace. You need to listen up really carefully over these next few minutes because if you're at war with God, you desperately need peace. You're in a no-win situation if you're drawing out battle lines against God, you need to ask for peace. And if you're a believer, if you're trusting in Christ, we still need to be well grounded in the gospel shoes of peace to keep standing in the battles that we are facing against the enemy. Here's what we've got to grasp about the gospel shoes of peace. There's three things here. We've got to firmly get them in our minds as we think about this, uh, the shoes of of the gospel shoes of peace. The first thing we've got to understand here about the gospel shoes of peace is this, that we are more broken than we could ever believe. We've got to get that about the gospel, that you and I are more broken than we could ever believe. See what Paul tells us in Romans 12 about this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You see, here's what the gospel does with all of us first if we truly apprehend 
what the gospel's saying. It strips away from us all of our supposed goodness that I'm doing okay all by myself. Paul says there, don't think of yourself more highly than what you really are. Use a sober judgment to assess yourself. I'm more broken than I can ever believe. What am I really? Who am I really? I'm a broken person. I'm a broken, flawed person by sin. And this brokenness, this flawedness about me, has crept into every part of who we are. This is what the gospel does initially to us. Every element of who we are has the brokenness of sin stamped all over it. We've got to understand this about the gospel. Why is it that I can't hold my tongue and sometimes I'll just let it rip and just blow off? Why is it that I can allow bitterness to build up inside of me and then to build up anger and resentment towards other people? Why is it that envy can so consume me that I feel so ripped off in life because I've been cut off short by everybody else? Why did these things happen to me? Well, why is it that I don't serve and love God like I should as the supreme being in my life? Why does that not happen? It happens because we are broken through and through. We are broken people. We may really try hard to get on top of things and feel like we're getting some small increments, but then we fail and we fall short again. We are broken through and through. The gospel of grace tells me first that I'm more broken than I could ever believe. I'm more broken than I could ever believe. And it's critically important we get that. Absolutely important. You see, the gospel humbles me. The gospel humbles me to see that I can't save myself, that I can't do life on my own. The gospel humbles me to look for something outside of myself to rescue me and to save me. I'm more broken than I can ever believe is what the gospel initially does to us. Second element here of the gospel that we need to see about the gospel shoes of peace. Sorry, not the second one. Let me just follow on a bit further on that one. Even as believers, the gospel continues to humble us. Uh, John tells us in 15.5, we can do nothing without him. We can do nothing without him. That's Jesus speaking there. We never actually can stand on our own two feet unaided in our Christian life. That won't happen. We'll never be able to stand on our own two feet in our own strength in ourselves, in this Christian life. We are totally dependent on Christ every moment of every day. Although I'm healed by Christ, and I am spiritually, I still remain a broken, incomplete vessel whilst I remain on this earth. I am a work in progress. So when the devil with his, hurls his accusations again at how weak I am or how weak we are, I can say, or you can say, yep, you're right, devil. I'm as weak as a kitten when it comes to you, when it comes to your attacks or insults or accusations against me and the sin of this world. In my own strength, I am weak. And that should humble me. You see, the humility of the gospel 
uh, keeps me continually dependent upon the Holy Spirit for the grace that I need to be able to be uh, sustained in this life, to overcome today's trials and troubles, and then more grace for tomorrow's trials and troubles as well. You see, the gospel of peace first tells me I'm more broken than I could ever believe. Secondly, now we'll get to the gospel of peace, the second element. The gospel of peace also tells me that I'm more loved than I can ever imagine. I'm more broken than I can ever believe, but the gospel also tells me I am more loved than I can ever imagine. We can't even begin to comprehend the love that God has for us and the love that God shows for us. Here's a simple uh, illustration for you. Have you ever been blown away when you've sat down, to, sat down to eat a bowl of breakfast cereal? Blown away by the love of God. You might think, oh no, it's just a bowl of cereal. We should be blown away by that. We should be blown away as we look at a bowl of cereal or every bit of smashed avo on toast or something like that. I don't care what you have for breakfast. We should be blown away by that. Because that is God's love demonstrated to us in giving us this food. Sometimes you look at a plate of food and we just eat, but sometimes I've stopped and I've looked at it and thought, this is just amazing. God's created all these elements and given me appliances that I can cook and I can eat this food and it is delicious. That is God's love demonstrated to us. That should blow us away. That should make us look at God and say, this is amazing that you so freely and lovingly uh, give me this food. But it goes further than that. Food's great, but we can even go a deeper perspective here of God's love. Look at Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But... God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very important passage, that one. While we are yet sinners, while we are yet enemies of God, he reaches out in love and dies for us. Jesus in pure love takes our place on the cross. It's sort of hard for us to imagine. And here again is maybe a, you know, an illustration and possibly a weak one, I don't know. Uh, that's like Prince Charles, the incumbent king of England. He's waiting for his bum to die so he can ascend the throne. That's like Prince Charles, the incumbent king of England, going down to the local jail in uh, London and telling the guy there who's doing a life sentence, hey, mate, I just love you as a friend. I love you so much. I'm going to take your place in prison. You walk out and I'll take your place. The guy's been an enemy of the crown. He's in there because he's possibly done murder. But it's like that. While we are yet enemies, God comes and dies for us. This is the demonstration that Paul says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, having no time for God, Christ dies for us. This is the gospel of peace revealing love to us so amazing that we cannot fully comprehend it. This understanding that I'm more loved than I can ever believe tells me that I'm precious to God. 
This understanding of I'm more loved than I can ever believe tells me that God values me. I'm not just another created human being as one of billions of others and God doesn't think nothing of me at all. Like just you know, one of the other seven or eight billion on the face of the earth at this time. God tells me when I'm more loved than I can ever believe that I'm precious to God and he sees me as valuable. And that God freely shows this love. It's not that he needed something out of me. So why he, he began to just show this love to me. He freely chooses to pour this love upon me simply because he loves me. Thirdly, the gospel of peace tells me this. I'm a child of his grace. I'm more broken than I can ever believe. I'm more loved than I can ever imagine. But I'm also, from the gospel of peace, a child of his grace. Not only do I receive his grace at salvation, but I keep on receiving his grace for the rest of my days as his son or daughter. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. Have a look there. This divine power, his grace has granted to us all things for life and godliness. Ongoing sense. In other words, the gospel shoes of peace continue to pour into our lives, sustaining grace for every situation in life that enables us to live godly lives. He keeps pouring grace into my life and giving me strength. He gives me everything that I need that pertains for life and godliness from his divine power, his divine grace. God just doesn't get me to the line of salvation and says, righto, you're on your own now, son. Or, hang on, yep, you're on your own now, daughter. I've got you to the line. You just, you just do life on your own from now on. God doesn't do that. He continues to pour his grace and his strength into us every day for every situation. And it doesn't matter what we face or what situation we come against, God will supply the grace required to get us through that trial or that trouble or that challenge. It's a glorious thing to think on. That God sustains me daily with his grace and there are unlimited reserves of grace. It's, it's sort of like the, it's like the Niagara Falls of grace that just keeps crashing over that waterfall. It just keeps flooding into our lives of strength and comfort and peace pouring into us for every situation. God does not fail and he will not fail in our lives. I am a child of grace. This is what the gospel of peace tells me here. So let's wrap this up today here as we think about these elements and pull them together. Firstly, my friend, if you're an enemy of God, if you're refusing to submit to his ways, you need the gospel shoes of peace. You need to grasp these gospel shoes of peace. You need to cry out, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender to you, Lord. Submit yourself to God and this gospel of peace will flood your heart with mercy and peace if you'll just surrender to him. And then you will know the peace that does surpass all understanding the Bible tells us about. Follower of Jesus, who's in this battle against the enemy, Satan, you and I, you and I, we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to keep proclaiming the gospel of peace to our own lives daily. 
We need to keep reminding ourselves of what the gospel is all about. Sometimes more than daily, it could be hourly, depending on what you may be going through at that particular time. Why? Because Satan is daily attacking us to not believe the gospel. Satan is probably hour by hour trying to um, wound our faith, cut our faith down, cause us to doubt about God's glorious grace and to not believe the gospel. That's his work. And we are prone to forget the gospel. Life does consume us and overwhelm us. So we need to daily preach the gospel to ourselves, remind ourselves in the gospel that I'm more broken than I could ever believe, that I'm more loved than I can ever imagine, and that I am a child of his grace. We've got to get those shoes on and we've got to be in a state of readiness for that. We need to be firmly grounded in the gospel shoes of peace, that when Satan comes with his lies to knock us off balance, to do whatever he can to take us down, we're ready for him. We're ready to move in any direction on how he may attack us by applying this gospel to ourselves. We need to go deep, deep, deep in the gospel and remind myself every day, yes, I am more broken than I can ever believe. That's all right though, because it keeps me humble And it keeps me dependent upon Christ. It's okay to be like that. It's a good place to be. Yes, I'm more loved than I can ever imagine. And that's fantastic as well because that tells me that God values me and sees me as precious. He loves me. And we've got to grasp also that I'm a child of grace. That God will never let me go. He will always pour his grace into my life to continue to sustain me, even in the most severest trials of life. They are the gospel shoes of peace that we need for that spiritual warfare. And I guess I ask you today, what are the shoes that you have on? What are the boots that you are trying to wear today to stand up against Satan and against this world? Are you grounded in those gospel shoes of peace, alert and ready to counteract Satan and all of his lies, then to experience God's sustaining grace? Can I say, don't be like Imelda Marcos. You do not need 3,000 pairs of shoes. You need one pair of boots. You need one pair of boots. You need the gospel shoes of peace. And if you can ground yourself in the gospel shoes of peace, you will stand and you will overcome and you will have a glorious meeting with Christ in eternity because these boots are fitted for eternity. Let's pray. Father, today we uh, do come before you and thank you again for the good news of the gospel. We, Father, we thank you today for the truth that we find in Ephesians chapter 6. Father, we see today that you have prepared uh, us to stand in the battle, to stand in the battle, Lord. And I pray firstly, though, Lord, for those who are at war with you, and perhaps they're sensing that for the first time today, that they have been your enemy, Lord. God, I pray that the gospel of peace would come in and just begin to melt their hearts, soften their hearts to see the glorious work of Christ in reconciling enemies back to himself. That, Lord, once we were your enemy, but now we are seated at your table. Jesus, thank you for the work of Calvary. Lord, for those today who are still in that struggle, and we all are in that struggle to some extent, 
God, I pray today that we are fitted with these shoes, we are fitted with these boots, that we are proclaiming and preaching and reminding ourselves of the gospel every day, every day. Reminding ourselves that we are more broken than we can ever believe, that we are more loved than we can ever imagine, and we are children of grace. Let that go deep in our hearts today, Lord, I pray, and let that be, a, as it were, a fortress against the attacks of the enemy. And may we experience out of that amazing victories, amazing joy and amazing strength as we see those gospel shoes of peace do miracles in our hearts and lives. Father, this I ask and this I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, they're going to lead us in a song. And uh, if you uh, are looking for some prayer or would love to catch up with me um, post the service and talk about that. I'm going to be down the front here and I would love to uh, uh, pray with you or um, field any of your questions. Thank you. We're going to sing Rescue Us, so if you stand and join us.